Hey there, and welcome to episode number 92 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Audrey Assad about her latest project, about the fact that she uh, did a project of hymns but didn't throw a bunch of choruses in there. And then we even got into some pretty heavy conversations about addiction and uh, the problem of leaders not being able to speak out in the church about uh, dealing with things like pornography or alcoholism or anything like that. So we're going to jump right in. Church Collective Podcast, episode number 91. So Inheritance is a record mostly made up of hymns. I did write a couple songs on there and write a new tune for one uh, like Latin chant from the 4th century, uh, but mostly songs that I didn't write. And I, I recorded it because, um, well, I grew up in a denomination called Plymouth Brethren, which um, we sang four-part harmonies, a cappella, out of the hymnal, and that was it. And so I grew up with a lot of these songs, and they really, in some part, shaped my theology um, as songs tend to do. Um, and I, I wanted to, I suppose, like approach them both reverently and boldly at the same time. I didn't, I decided not to add any choruses to any of the recordings of these hymns, um, or new refrains or anything like that. Sure. But I wanted to present them musically in such a way that they felt fresh and that the lyrics felt new again. And I, I hope that I achieved that. That was definitely kind of the objective going in. Um, and I, yeah, a lot of these songs are just songs that are very special to me. And also a, like a big focus was refugees and people in poverty. Uh, there's a lot of hymns that were written by people that are either suffering very greatly or even, you know, people in, in actual poverty. And so we tried to focus in on those themes and sure. working with several charities around this record um, to serve the needs of the poor. Uh, and I think that Church praise and worship and hymns are an incredible example of this. Um, has the ability to really bring people of all ages and demographics and races and creeds together. And so I felt it'd be appropriate, you know, to partner with certain people. And so we're we're donating some proceeds to Saint Vincent de Paul, which is a homeless outreach and and different things like that. So that's kind of the, the overview of the project. Um, could you maybe you talk about like the the depth of like the richness behind some of these hymns that are written, you maybe speak to one that maybe just pops in your mind. Like what, what's one of the deeper stories for one of the hymns that you're doing here? Mm-hmm. So the, you know, hymns are incredibly rich theologically and literature wise, you know, the way they're written, their lyrics are typically very uh, complex in a good way. Um, I do think it's good to point out that a, a lot of hymns didn't last that long through time the way these have uh you know charles wesley wrote six thousand hymns in his lifetime and we maybe sing 20 of them so um just to sort of give a pat on the back to modern worship music because uh just because these hymns are theologically rich and and beautiful doesn't mean that our songs aren't as well um so just to put that out there for worship leaders because i think it can get discouraging when people are like bring back the hymns you know um because our songs are hymns too but sure um yeah but my favorite maybe um, is It Is Well With My Soul, which written by Horatio Spafford. And we sang it at my grandmother's funeral. It was her, her favorite song. And he wrote the song shortly after he had lost his wife and two daughters in a shipwreck, a tragic shipwreck. And, um, you know, he returned to the spot where their bodies had been found, and he wrote the lyrics to It Is Well With My Soul, uh, which I just think is probably what lends the song its incredible power and pathos um was that it was written by a man truly suffering and i love the song especially as um 
I watch all these boats sinking, uh, bringing refugees from the Middle East to Greece and other places. And mm. so many have lost their lives at sea in this crisis. And so for me, it was really about my grandmother, who was a Syrian refugee as well. Um, and there's the, sort of a prayer for those men and women that and children, you know, who are who are dying so tragically. Sure. How would you um, speak to like the week-to-week worship leader that's getting up and leading songs with the reality of the fact that there are, you know, like Syrian refugees that are drowning? Like how, mm-hmm. how would you suggest, you know, we as worship leaders um, mm-hmm. speak to that or pray to that or, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's very simple. For me, I, I speak about it very briefly. Usually when I travel and lead worship, I sort of, you know, introduce um, a song and say, by the way, this is happening. Let's just pray for these people as we sing this. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of suffering in the world, and um, maybe if you could just, in your mind and heart, lift up Syria and Syria's people uh, during this incredible, incredible um, structural implosion and civil war that they're going through. And that's it. You know, I don't really do a lot of preaching about it because I think it's sort of a, an awkward time to do so um, sure. in the middle of worship. But I think it's good to just, you know, worship is so. Um, incredibly unifying and it's a good time to not only praise God but also pray for others especially you know the suffering and the persecuted and so I just kind of think reminding people that it's happening and asking them to pray um, yeah. is, is totally sufficient and a beautiful thing to do sure that's cool um, talk a little on the practical side like what what was your why was why was like their decision to not add I guess for most worship recordings, it's like find a mm-hmm. hymn, add some choruses to it, um, which is there's, yeah. there's some great versions of that. But maybe speak to you know why you intentionally left those out, and maybe like the process of like not mm-hmm. not having that to lean on to make them yeah. fresh. Uh, yeah, I mean this was the single biggest challenge about making this album, probably. And I the reason I decided not to is that um, without casting a negative light on the people who have done so because I think that there are moments where that's incredibly effective in terms of you know bringing the hymns back to life for a generation that just doesn't know them Um, I really wanted to approach them more like um, true interpretations of a song and without really editing the song itself too much so the way I chose to approach that was um, to like view each song as almost like a tiny short film that I was writing a score to. So how can I take these incredibly rich and dramatic lyrics and melodies and highlight them? And it became more about the actual sonic adventure of doing that than it did about sort of approaching it from a rewriting standpoint. Um, and I think as a worship leader, I totally understand the desire for those choruses because they, they're easier to catch on to. I think people hook into them and really like it gives you a chance to breathe and respond. And so often when I lead hymns uh, live, I may not add a chorus in the, in the actual song, but I, I kind of have these moments of um, simple uh, repetitive worship courses I'll sort of do after a hymn has and finished sure. because I think those are very helpful and so on the record I didn't do it because I didn't want to rewrite the songs but I do it live all the time in right. some form or fashion because I just think it's um there's a wisdom to that you know there's been many many I mean even outside of praise and worship music there's the Taizé movement in France which is an ecumenical movement of Catholics and Protestants who sing 
very sort of repetitive, simple praise choruses in the round. And that's all that they write and sort of meditative. And, you know, there's a wisdom to that. Sometimes we need a second to sing the same words a few times. Um, so I just, it was an artistic challenge and I, I really desired that. So I just made that my boundary, but I certainly don't have any negative reactions to people adding choruses at all. Sure. Yeah, cool. Could you talk a little bit maybe towards your journey into being a worship leader from your you know Plymouth Brethren background and just what the Lord's been doing in that and yeah, how he really sparked in worship leadership and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I encountered praise and worship music when I was about 16 at a camp, you know, somewhere and it was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I like this, you know, it was sort yeah. of a new thing and I, I really was old before I actually heard anything and it was pretty dated stuff, you know, it was very like, early sonic flood right. which at that time had been around quite a while and right. i just hadn't heard it and so it was all new to me and it was a whole new world and um i didn't really start leading worship till i was 19 years old and that kind of coincided with a dramatic kind of conversion experience i had i was already a believer but i didn't really have a or a deeper conversion that you go through throughout your life you know and at 19 I met the Lord again and he changed my life in a deeper way and kind of um, freed me from some, some things, including um, I was a pornography addict and I had a really kind of a healing on a certain level. Um, not that I never struggled with it again, but it was, it was kind of a different battle. It wasn't such a bondage thing, you know, from sure. that point. And so once that happened, I, it was sort of an overflow. I felt a lot of joy. It's, just, it's said that he has forgiven much, uh, loves much, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that's really where the worship music started to pour out of me as a songwriter. Um, and that was kind of, I was at that time, I had left the Plymouth Brethren and was at a Baptist church then and um, was on part-time staff leading worship for young adults groups and organizing worship teams and doing the sort of day in, day out work of that. Um, and I was very young, and I can't believe they let me do that, but I was learning on the job, and um, it was a very formative time for me uh, and where I really began this whole process. Sure. Um, you mentioned addiction there, too. I know that that's a big deal for a lot of people, just various mm -hmm. addictions, sins. Um, but you said you, you really like experienced the transformative power with you know still slipping into things as you go. Do you have some encouragement for somebody who's maybe feels just destroyed by some you know, mistake or addiction that, and, you know, I, I guess as worship leaders, we can tend to be insulated because we're a church and we can't really let our weaknesses be seen by many people. Right. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly tricky because of the stigma that, um, we as a society and a church really have placed on the, the idea of addiction, that mm. somehow addiction says something very deep about your identity, which it actually I think addicts are almost just more transparent than other people. Um, you know, when you're an addict, you, uh, you're, you're seeking very hard for the things that we all want. And maybe it's just more obvious about you. Hmm. Um, and I've heard Matt Marr say there's a fine line between an addict and a mystic and a, hmm. a, a mystic knows, uh, what the cure is for his addiction, you know? And, um, hmm. I think, I guess I'll put it this way. For me, the transformative thing has really been a slow journey of realizing that uh, my addiction said something actually rather profound about me, which is that I want love and I want um, approval and I want validation. And 
I am a passionate person and a visual person. And so I fell into some uh, mistaken places on my search. But then as the Lord has really healed me of um, of certain things about, you know, my, my identity wounds and the things that I'm sort of deeply struggling with below all of the symptoms like pornography addiction, uh, the, the things like... Uh, pornography just don't have as much of a pull over me now because I'm slowly being healed. And it is not always overnight. You know, I think people expect that that when they desire to change and, you know, it's not an overnight thing for most people. And this is partially because it's not just a sin issue. It is actually a neurological problem at that point. You have, your brain has been rewired chemically um, and you have to take time to let that reverse. It is not, um, it's not overnight and it's not simply because of a character problem. I Mm. think that that's the stigma of that, that pornography addiction is purely a character issue is very, very counterproductive in um, actually freeing people (laughs) because they they need multiple streams of help. Um, You know what I'm saying? It's so, so to sort of tell people like, well, if you pray hard enough and if you want to stop enough, then you'll be free of this. And it's not that simple. And uh, it's so I think, you know, breaking that that shame cycle would be, go a long way to bringing freedom to more people more quickly. And I certainly do my part. I travel and speak about this quite a lot. And mm. it's all I can do, but yeah. uh, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Um, and to kind of shift gears to a little more practical, could you um, talk a little bit about just how you, you know, keep your voice up for as much singing that you do? Like you have any <laughs> routines and things like that? Yeah, I only very recently started doing some warm-ups and uh, I really should have been doing them all this time because I've been singing quite a bit for the last, I guess, 14 years really. Uh, But I have a vocal coach now who has given me kind of um, some certain things to do. And so I do some actually quite a bit of neck massage, which is Hmm. really interesting. She told me how much the muscles that come from your clavicle up kind of through your voice box and around your jaw and up to the back of your skull, uh, they actually influence your voice quite a bit. And those are probably most people's most stressed and tight muscles. And so I do quite a bit of work um, in like in the shower in the morning, Hmm. especially the day of show, um, trying to loosen those muscles up. And it's actually a very, very painful place to massage because it's so tight. Um, but that's probably been the biggest revelation for me because I never would have even thought of that, that it's not just simply your voice box, but all the muscles surrounding it and holding it and cradling it when they are sure. spasmic or tight, uh, they actually affect your range and your vocal strength and your diaphragm. And so that's that's my maybe my biggest uh, the thing I've learned in the last few years. So Googling, I think, massage for singers would be really helpful yeah. uh, for anybody looking for that that's a good i've not thought about that either like now i'm like huh that makes sense (laughs) that's pretty simple yeah cool um what do you do too spiritually to to keep yourself like what's your you know we all have different routines and different seasons of routines but how do you um how do you keep yourself prepared for you know leading people yeah well definitely one of the things that i have learned to do is um not to expect uh or to attempt I guess anything too complicated and so because if I do that then I sort of just go like "Ah, I don't have time for that one hour long you know whatever thing and I have days and weeks where I am able to spend more time but sometimes it's just like before I get up there I 
read the daily readings and then I pray a prayer to the Holy Spirit and that's the day I had, so that's what I do. And I find that actually those readings are incredibly helpful, reading this sort of um, liturgical year, uh, because it keeps me feeling united to the whole church and sort of on the same page with people. It actually makes a huge difference for me. Uh, but when I'm when I have more time, one thing I've been doing is um, I've been reading a book called Be Healed, uh, by a man named Dr. Bob Schutz. And uh, he does these incredible exercises um, at the end of each chapter where you kind of, like this, this last week I was doing one where he said like, remember, remember your baptism, you know, and remember back to that moment and then like go have a prayer experience with the Lord where he shows you just what that meant and how deep it went and what he did in your life, you know? And so you sort of like relive these moments in your faith walk, uh, and ask the Lord to show you even more than what you realized about how, how he was renewing and restoring you. And so I do a lot of exercises like that. Um, mm that I, I find incredibly helpful because, again, I'm a visual person, so I have to visualize a lot of things, and um, it's beautiful to do that. So I have, you know, several things, but those are a couple. Sure. Do you have any advice for an aspiring songwriter? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you what help, helped me uh, sure. start, especially, which was difficult. Um, I found something online at that time about doing a 30-day poetry challenge and I ended up editing it to be a 30-day song challenge and really all it amounted to was I, uh, I had to write one song a day for 30 days no exceptions it just had to be finished even if I thought it was like utter crap I, could, I, just had, to, I had to call it done before I could go to sleep and um, I found that I didn't keep any of the songs I wrote during that 30-day sure. 30, 30 challenge but I felt like it kind of um I use the illustration a lot of a, a soap pump that you just bought and you have to like prime the pump a few times before it starts giving you soap. Sure. And that was kind of what that was for me. And so I was truly, you know, when I started thinking, oh, like I think I'd like to write music, I was absolutely just an aspiring songwriter. I'd really never written anything. Uh, and so that challenge kind of got me in touch with my own natural process and the things that were easier and harder for me. And so I got to kind of get a good look at where to begin working um so that's my advice i think that's sure. a great way to start out yeah so a big understanding that a lot of what you're going to create you're probably not going to be really proud of and that's okay right yeah. that's okay because it's an <laughs> exercise you know it's not competition yeah um, so yeah that would be a good thing to try sure um do you have any encouragement too for say a worship leader that um is facing burnout you know and i'm sure you face that too as you're out and about and doing <laughs> same set often like what what, what do you do yeah. Uh, I do several things and this has evolved for me right now, the way I deal with that, because I absolutely do come up against this problem of feeling like I just want to quit and I'm over overstressed and I'm, I manage myself at this point in my career hmm. and I'm an independent artist. We run everything through my label that my husband and I own and run together. It's a lot of work. I am very, I think, uh, overworked in some ways, especially in certain seasons. And I think we can all relate to that. And just church ministry in general can be such a difficult and draining, um, a draining one because it's so interpersonal yeah. and so passionate and so spiritual. So there's just a lot there. Uh, for me, um, this is going to sound so, uh, well, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I really am trying to understand self-care on a new level at this phase. And so one of the things that I'm doing is acupuncture because I find that 
I don't really know when else I sit down in a room for a full hour and don't do anything and don't look at my phone. Sure. It's very rare. Um, and I, so I go to an acupuncture place and uh, one or two times a week and just sit in a recliner and do nothing yeah. and just let my mind drift where it wants to. And eventually it just kind of stops and it's <laughs> the most calming thing I can imagine. Yeah. Um, something. So for me, it's just about, I need a couple hours a week where I am not working where I'm not, I'm neither serving or doing something fun for myself. It's more like a complete stop, just a pause, you know. And I find that if I don't do that, it all piles up very quickly, and I start to feel like the end is coming. I have to jump off this train, like I'm freaking out, you know. Right. And so, um, maybe ask me again in two years. Maybe it'll be a different answer. But as yeah. for right now, um, that's the only way I can stave it off is to make sure that I have a few hours every week, whether it's like nature or this acupuncture thing I'm doing now where I'm just not doing anything. Because sure. uh, it's just incredibly difficult to remember that we are beings that need like recharging and rest and silence and stillness. And so I seek that in any way I can. Right. I mean, just listening to you say that, I'm trying to think back on my, it's been a long time since I've had like a moment for my brain to stop. So I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this like, that's like, I got to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. That's it for this week's episode. As always, please head over to thechurchcollective.com, hit that contact button. We want to connect with you and we want to connect you with others. Also, if you have a moment, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps us become more visible. We've been getting a lot of new people coming uh, into the Church Collective through just hearing the podcast over there. So we would love to connect with more people and you're part of helping us do that. So God bless you today and we'll see you next time.